Praise God. Who would think I would ever win a singing competition? Oh, that's that. Is that a backhanded compliment? I sang it in my best Welsh baritone voice. With two weeks, two weeks, two weeks infection. No. There was a special anointing flowing that day. And the anointing for me to sing in this church does not flow. My, I'm, I'm singing here this morning and Daphne's saying, sing in tune. And I'm saying, she said, just listen to me and sing along with me. So I did and she said, that's much better. I want you to laugh this morning. We've had two words, last Sunday apparently and this Sunday. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, it's easy to be miserable. It really is. It's easy to be upset. It's easy to be down. It's easy to just groan about life. But I tell you, Christ lives in you. So, maybe I'll have you roaring in the aisles. Let's see. One of the adjectives that God uses for us, he says that we are a shining star. Not we will become one, because we are children of faith, and we are righteous, we are shining stars in a dark heaven. If you've got your Bibles and you want to just follow it or follow it through, it'll be up here, I'm sure. I'm going to read from Philippians and chapter 2, uh, from verse 12. Philippians 2 and from verse 12 through to 18. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. You're a star. Say that, I'm a, I'm a star. You are a star. I never said that. The Word of God said that you were a star shining in a depraved generation. As you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour for nothing, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you so that you too should be glad and rejoice with me. The idea that you were a star, you have to go right back to Genesis where God says that children of faith are the stars of God. 
It's found in Genesis 15.5. Remember that Abraham had been to war and he had come back and he was a, a bit upset with God, he was fearful, he was frightened, and God said, what's wrong with you? Oh, he said, the enemies might come and attack. No, God said, what's wrong with you? He said, the problem is, I won't have an heir. I won't have a son. I won't have a child. And so God said, come outside the tent. So he got from his bed and he went out. And then God says, look, look up into the heavens. It must have been black in the heavens. And he says this, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. We are the offspring of Abraham because we are children of faith. So right back there, God is calling us stars. In Romans 4 and 11, he, talking about Abraham, it says, is father of all who believe. If you're a believer this morning, then Abraham is your father. Hebrews 11 and 12 says, And from this one man came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And this verse here in Philippians says that children of God without fault in a crooked and a depraved generation in which we shine like stars. You know, to shine, you have to be in the black. I cannot see the stars in the daytime. I can only see the, the stars at night when everything around me is black and dark. I want to share something of what it is to live like a star. I'm going to root it in my trip to Israel. Why do any harder work than that? Because out of that you've already heard these people went through traumatic experiences. Yes, traumatic. And yet they shone like stars. And we too go through difficult things and shine like stars. Only 50% of life is good. The other 50% is bad. Have you worked that out? For some people, only 25% of their life is good and 75% is bad. Some people live a charm life and 25% of their life is difficult and 75% is good. Let's work on a 50-50 basis. 50% of your life is trouble. Are you going to disagree with me? 50% is pain. 50% is difficult. 50% doesn't work out. Do you know that God sets that up sometimes? We were looking at the marriage feast at Cana have you ever asked the question, why did they run out of wine? God set it up. It was not a coincidence that it was the wedding that Jesus went to and they run out of wine, was it? Coincidences don't happen. I reckon God orchestrated it. God orchestrated it. So Jesus could perform the miracle. Sometimes a lot of bad stuff that happens around you is because God is permitting it, even orchestrating it, allowing it to happen, that through it he might be glorified. And how is he glorified? That we shine like stars in the darkness.
Someone said there were 31. Were there 31 or 32? You were the leader. 31. Okay. 11 nations were represented. Imagine putting 11 nations together in a boiling pot for eight days. That shouldn't work, should it? That's difficult. But if you're Christians, it works. We had eight Bolivians, six Indians, two Pakistan, three, three Koreans, two Nigerians, two Kenyans, three Hungarians. Were they Hungarian? Bulgarian. Bulgarian, sorry. A West Indian, two English, a Brazilian, and a Welshman. <laughs> what a bunch, eh? What a, what a group of people. Some never spoke English at all. Some spoke little English. Some spoke sort of English, which I couldn't understand. And some were very good at English. Amazing group of people. You know, I don't think there was an argument once. I can't remember one. I can't remember people getting really angry or upset with anyone else. I can't remember people falling out and not talking. I don't think it happened. It should have. Because it was very intense. They shone like stars. Those 31 people shone like stars. Our leaders called Paul's song. I don't know what his birth name was. It's not Paul, is it? It's Keo. Keo song. So he picked a Christian name. He picks the name Paul. I know now why. The man is as fanatical as the Apostle Paul. Now, I have great admiration for the Apostle Paul. I think he's a wonderful man, and I would love to sit down with him in the next world, but I don't want him leading a mission trip. <laughs> you understand? I mean, John Mark tried, didn't he? And went home. He's just too full on. And Pastor Paul's song is full on. That group should have shattered into bits under the leadership of Paul's song. Let me tell you how Paul describes himself in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 27. He says, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the cities, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have laboured and toiled, and I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked beside everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. He's not complaining. 
He's not complaining to God about this. He is saying, these are the facts. Now, if you state the facts to me, that doesn't mean you're complaining. If it's cold, wet and miserable, it is. You can't say anything else. If someone's trying to kill you, they're trying to kill you. And if you state the facts, you're not complaining. Paul's not complaining. Complaining is grumbling against the leadership. That's what it was in the wilderness. It wasn't the fact that they were just moaning they didn't have any food. They were complaining against their leaders. I never heard once on this eight-day mission anyone complain about Lee or Paul. Ever once. The people shone like stars. He had us up every morning at 5.30, praying for an hour, breakfast by eight, on the coach and out. Full program, every day for 12 hours, finishing up with a two-hour service in the evening from eight to 10, and released to go to bed. You just passed out. There was no time off, no relaxation, no free time, no do what you like. It went like that day after day after day. I think he's emulating the Apostle Paul, don't you? He's a wonderful man, Paul Song. Like I say, I don't know if I'll go on another mission with him. There you go. Maybe I'm a bit of a softy in comparison. I don't know. The people shone like stars. They never complained once. They never complained about their leaders. This flight out that Eva mentions, you can't imagine the ordeal. We're sitting on the plane. It's on the tarmac, nine o'clock. We're going to taxi to the runway and take off. All of a sudden, there's a big kerfuffle. The pilot has come out onto the deck. Now, you know it's trouble if you see the pilot, don't you? You never see the pilot. You wonder if there is a pilot when you get on a plane. He talks to you, or someone does, but you never see him. I don't reckon there are pilots on planes, quite frankly. I reckon they're flying by computers. And that voice is recorded, okay? This is your first engineer, okay? Don't panic, that's a lie, it's a computer, okay? But we see the pilot come out. I didn't know this, but of the Bolivian team of eight, four of them are being held back in immigration and four are on the plane. The four on the plane shouldn't have been on the plane because sometime last year, the premier of Bolivia had declared Israel a terrorist state. So Israel said, if you think we're a terrorist state, you better all get visas before you come to our country because we want to vet who you are. Now, the previous year, Bolivians went, they didn't need visas. So these unsuspecting eight Bolivians have come to the airport. Now, so much for immigration. Four of them have got fought through onto the plane. They could have all had bombs, couldn't they? Ah, scary, isn't it? I'm not trying to frighten you or put you off your summer holidays. But this is a reality. Four are held back in immigration. Big kerfuffle. 
Pastor Paul giving it what for at the front of the plane with the pilot? They said, I'm sorry, they haven't got the documentation to fly. It's illegal to allow them to fly. They must get off the plane. So they said, let's go all through the, the baggage in the car, just in case there's any bombs here. Now, that didn't seem a very foolproof way of finding out if there were bombs. So they had a second thought about that. They said, everyone get off the plane, pick all your luggage up, and go back to the terminus. Meanwhile, we'll get all the cases out of the hold and we'll lay it on the tarmac. So we haven't even started on our mission yet. So we're there, and now here comes the force. The police with the machine guns standing around our plane, just to reassure everyone, not to frighten you, you understand what I'm saying? And then we, we go back and we pick our cases out, yes, put this in the hold, we get back in the plane. But our poor Bolivian friends are now stuck in England. Did they give up? No, no, no. They went straight to the embassy, secured visas in 24 hours, which must be a miracle, because I know how difficult it is to get visas. And they were in Israel with us in three days. They shone like stars in the darkness. Would you have given up? They weren't going to. See, they shone like stars in the darkness. We arrived at Bethlehem three, four hours late, had a meal. Lee's job is to allocate people to their bedrooms. Sharing, obviously, apart from one if there's 31 because they can't get twos into 31. I can do that one. Who's going to get Baza? Do you know who Baza is? That's a friendly, endearing term of me. Luke called me the Baza. Who's going to sleep with the Baza? Because the Baza snores. Understand? This white-haired old gentleman who's obviously overweight is playing for all to see. He snores. I'm trying to convince Daphne that snoring has nothing to do with weight. She doesn't believe me. She said, you should lose it anyway. We'll find out if you thinner people snore. So this, 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 this star here, he allocates everyone. So who gets the baza? He does. What a sacrificial laying down of one's life. Lee offered his body as a living sacrifice, <laughs> holy and pleasing unto God. I think the saving grace is when we got to bed, we were so shattered. He said, I don't understand you, Phil. He said, it takes you 15 seconds to get to sleep. I, I know it does. I, if, if it ain't lively here, I could drop off one Sunday. Okay, so keep it going, okay. And then somebody said to him, how did you cope with the bazaar? With what? I'm the bazaar. The bazaar? Okay. Um, Luke, Luke thought, Luke thought that he would give us a nickname. So Johnny over there is the prophet, okay? My other son, John, is JB, and he's the director, okay? Well, he called me the barrel. Oh. And they, like Luke, I know, the, the barrel's not the most affectionate term. So the barrel come the bazaar. 
Okay. So who would get the baza? He sacrificed himself on the altar of sacrifice and got the baza. But we were so shattered. We slept through it all. And when somebody said to him, how did you manage sleeping with the baza? He brushed it aside as though it was nothing. What a star. What a star. My wife and kids don't brush it aside as though it were nothing. They give me ag every morning. And sometimes I'm banished to the furthest corner of the house. The weather was bitterly cold, you've heard this. It was cold for the first three days. Then the alarm went off at 5.30 in the morning. And Lee's up like a lark. He's probably had enough of me. That's why he's up quick. And I see him pull back the curtains and he says, Phil, it's covered in snow out there. Four inches of snow. And I'm feeling, this is dreadful. (laughs) But we wrap up warm and we make our way up and down the hills of Jerusalem. The whole place is mountains, did you know? It's a terrible place, Jerusalem. Why don't they build things on flat things? Up and down and up and down. And Pastor Paul's got the program. Now, the coach was three hours late coming because he couldn't, he couldn't go in the snow. Three hours late meant nothing to Pastor Paul. We will do the same program if we're one hour late, two hour late, three hour late. So we're walking around all the wonderful sites of Jerusalem. We're stepping off the curb into... 12 inches of slush. Our feet are soaking wet, our trousers are wet, everything is wet from the knees down. We visit the pool of Siloam. Water dripping all over my head. I didn't enjoy the pool of Siloam so much. And we went to David's old city. We went to the Wailing Wall and we got tractors moving snow around. We went somewhere else that day. Ah, the the garden tomb. We were at David's city. Of course, we get off and we all stand around Pastor Paul and he reads the scriptures to us and he explains what it is that we're looking at. Because you wouldn't have known unless he told you. And then we have a photo shoot and a time of prayer and a time of singing out of a metal box. Because Joel wasn't there with his guitar this time. And then he says, pray. And this young lady to the side of me, she prays, thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day. (laughs) I was supporting Esther Jones at that time. We were both stooping very badly. I said, Esther, there's nothing beautiful. about today. I said, if we were in the Bahamas, we might thank God for a beautiful day, but it ain't beautiful here today. And she tried to convince me that it was. I thought, dear Lord, you need prayer, Esther Jones. This is, this is not a beautiful day. But that wonderful lady, wasn't she a bright and shining light? A star 
that shone. I've got some distance to go. I understand that. I understand that. I haven't got time to share with you how terribly, terribly poor we were at Secret Angels. Do you know what Secret Angels is? It's when one person is responsible for another person and is to be their secret angel. And out of 31 people, I think only two people got who their secret angel was. I thought, this is terrible. Terrible. But everyone was so positive about it, weren't they? The second time I had my secret angel, I thought, there is no way I'm going to fail on this one. You understand, you have to do something kind to this person and they work out your secret angel. So Pastor Paul talks about being generous and giving stuff away. That, I, I enjoy doing that, that's easy. So I goes in my wallet and I get out a 200 shekel note, that's about 30 quid. So this lady, who shall remain nameless, I goes up to her and I put my arm in her arm and I walk with her. She was very excited at the time. And then as I pull my arm back, I give her the 200 shekel note. I don't know why she thought I'd give everyone 200 shekels, but I gave it to her. I wrote her a card. I did all manner of lovely things to her. She said, could you help me? And I walked miles with her one day to explain something to her. And when it came to saying who we thought our secret angel is, she didn't have a clue. <laughs> And I thought, that cost me 200 shekels. I'm not that kind. For heaven's sake, woman, wake up. We all failed dismally. But we were bright and shining lights. And then to get through Israeli secret service is an ordeal second to none. They picked on Lee, they picked on Eva, and they picked on Paul. And they interrogated them for an hour and a half. An hour and a half. And they kept leaving them and going to each other and talking and saying, do their stories collaborate? Are they saying the same thing? I don't know what they were saying anyway. Eventually we got through. They shone like stars. Why? Because Christ lives in them. It was terrible, wasn't it? One day, I'm the last onto the coach. This never happens for me. Someone has to be last onto the coach. So I'm walking with Pastor Paul, and Pastor Paul says to me, Philip, we have this tradition. Somebody, the last on the coach, buys everybody their dinner. I don't mind buying dinner for half a dozen, but 31's a bit low, isn't it? So I just laugh along with him. Ha ha ha. We get on the coach and he picks up the microphone and he says, Pastor Philip is buying dinner for everybody today. And people are coming up saying, Thank you very much, thank you very much, thank you very much, thank you very much. And I'm thinking, I'm cornered here. 
So when it comes to it, I say to the treasurer, come on, let's do it. He says, are you sure? I said, through gritted teeth, yeah, I think so. (laughs) £250. I had to buy dinner for everybody. But I shone... I shone like a star. I've got one last story. You've got to hear this one. This is phenomenal. I reckon we attended the shortest marriage ceremony in the history of the world. Apparently, Lee says to me before we go, there's a couple coming and they're getting married at Cana. I thought, that's romantic and sweet. Not my scene, but there you go. We'll go for that. The, the boy's man's mother had come over, elderly lady from India and his uncle, and with the lady, her mother and father, I'm not quite sure if they were saved, but they were there on the trip. And we get married at Cameron Galley. Now, we get to this place where supposedly Jesus turned water into wine, fine, okay, whether it was or wasn't, it doesn't really matter. <coughs> and we have this little chapel. So I'm told before I go, take your suit, Phil. Well, I don't often wear it. And your nice shoes and everything. So I'm all dressed up, ready for the wedding. So we get there at 1.15, and she's getting married at 2. We book the chapel from 2 to 3. So we say, well, where do we get changed? In the public toilets. That's all right for blokes, okay? But the bride... The bride? I know. I saw your mouth go. Ah, that's it. That's it. So she's in the loo getting changed. I'm getting my gear on and Pastor Paul's getting all his robes on like he's a, a Jewish priest, isn't he? You know, with his old what's it on? Okay. So we're standing there now in this little chapel. There's a, we fill the place up with the 30 folk. Someone's put balloons on the seats. That was a magical touch. Did you do that? Oh, nothing to do with you. So there's balloons. So we're sitting there, two o'clock. Where's the bride? 2.15, where's the bride? 2.30, where's the bride? I'm thinking, I ain't going to do any preaching here today, that's for certain. 2.45, she appears. She's got 15 minutes to get married. Pastor Paul, in his pigeon Korean English gets through the service in nine. I'm not sure the bride and the groom knew exactly what he was saying sometimes. It comes to the part where it says, who gives this bride in marriage? Now, I don't think they had had much of a rehearsal because the father of the bride who's standing there, he says nothing. He's just standing there. So Pastor Paul says again, who gives this bride? Nothing happened. So he says, I give the bride then. So Pastor Paul, he gave the bride away. So the whole thing's, the whole thing's over in nine and a half minutes. The groom kisses the bride, and to kiss her he has to strangle her. Okay, but he did kiss her. And then we go into a reception after, paid by the bride and groom. Only to find it's a kebab house. With pita bread, with all this, I agree with you, 
humus. They can keep it, can't they? You know? All this humus stuff stuffed, stuffed in a, a thing. I said, Pastor Paul, I'm not preaching here. No, but I never heard the bride complain once. She shone like a star. Like a star. Isn't it amazing? That's mission. It was like a year of misery pushed into eight days. Were they special people? No. They're just Christians. People like you and me. See, when the pressure comes on, when it gets black, we shine like the stars. Two ladies have come into the office recently on separate occasions, bringing us what they think is a word from the Lord. One lady said, dark clouds are coming and overshadowing hope. That's what the lady said to me. Someone came to Lee on another occasion and he said, she said, there is trouble coming to hope. We have an opportunity to shine like the stars. You ready for trouble? You ready for dark clouds? No? Get ready. That's why I'm preaching this. Dark clouds are coming. Trouble's coming. We shine like the stars. We do not grumble and complain. You can say this is uncomfortable. I don't like this. This doesn't suit me. But you mustn't complain at the leaders because that's official grumbling. That's bad news. But we will press on through this. If we can do eight days with Pastor Paul in Israel, we as a church can do whatever dark clouds God wants to bring over us. And the darker it is, the more we shine like stars. God bless you. Amen.